This is Safe Zone, the podcast by OHS Canada, the national occupational health and safety magazine published by Annex Business Media. You've tuned in to hear conversations with Canadian safety professionals on the latest in OHS trends and research. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Safe Zone podcast. I'm your host, Marcel Vanderbeer, editor of OHS Canada. I'm joined today by the leaders of the Women in Occupational Health and Safety Society. Stephanie Benet is the organization's chair, joining us from Courtney, BC. And Vice Chair Shannon Bolger joins us from Calgary. Thank you both so much for sharing your time with me today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us, Marcel. We're happy to be here. This discussion is taking place just ahead of International Women's Day on March 8. The theme of this year's event is Choose to Challenge, with the ultimate goal of forging a gender-equal world. So today, I'm hoping we can shine a bit of a spotlight onto the world of workplace health and safety in Canada to discuss women's achievements, the movement towards equality, and also point out any lingering issues in this area. I'd like to begin with you, Stephanie. Shannon, feel free to follow up. But my first question is this. Can you outline the issues that women face in the occupational health and safety profession today? Absolutely, Marcel. You know, um, there are many different issues, but if I was to say right off the top of my head, um, you know, access to proper fitting PPE is still a huge issue for us here. And just to give you an example, you know, often, and even the PPE that's being developed these days, um, women are different proportions to men, of course. And there are things as simple as women in occupational health and safety who, for, for instance, have feel-facing roles, being, at, being able to access and comfortably access um, your bodily functions while wearing PPE, for example, coveralls, still is an issue for us. And for those of us, both Shannon and I have done some time in the field, so to speak, um, you know, access to clean facilities and toilets is still an issue in many organizations. Um, we're still trying to deal with women in their entirety in the workplace as far as our reproductive cycle. So how you address women, you know, when they're pregnant and how do we, you know, safely have them executing work in, the, in our workplaces? What do we do with women when they're menstruating? And we have different needs and requirements during that time. And what about menopausal women? And how do we address those hormonal changes that are happening that will, in fact, impact the workplace and not necessarily negatively? Um, we still have a lack of support in organizations. So women don't have access to uh, mentorship programs, coaching programs, and most likely not a sponsorship if they want to move forward in executive roles. We have noticed women in occupational health and safety, we lose a lot of women when they go into their childbearing years. So we've got a large portion of women, 50% in our educational institutions, um, but then we're losing them. And when we look at certified safety professionals in Canada, we have a female proportion of about 36%. So we know they're not taking that next step in their careers. And we have to, we have to ask the question, why? Um, and then we certainly, from my perspective, um, you know, women in occupational health and safety are still hitting a glass ceiling. So we're not necessarily seen as executive table material if we do manage to work through an organization. And even women who are leading safety functions within organization often come from different disciplines, such as engineering. 
And so those are just some. What about you, Shannon? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. I mean, touching on that organization, organizational side of things, women occasionally will come into safety with different skill sets that may not be recognized as valuable to the organization. A lot of companies, and certainly both of us have experienced this, a lot of companies will prioritize operational experience. They want someone who's worked in the field. They want someone who comes with that knowledge to be able to talk to the workers within their safety departments. Um, there are a lot of women who have those backgrounds, but there's an awful lot of women who come from more administrative backgrounds or HR backgrounds or rehabilitation backgrounds that may not necessarily have that operational experience. And if their skill sets are not recognized as being valuable within a safety department, then they're not going to, like Stephanie mentioned, they're not going to be able to get the opportunities to go to safety conferences or to take training courses or to join safety associations. One of the reasons that when we first started the Women in Occupational Health and Safety was we wanted to make sure it was affordable for women who may not have company support to pay for safety association fees. It's not, um, it's not attainable for everybody. I know that the society you're part, you're a part of has been doing some good work over the last number of years. So I'm curious to uh, the improvements you're seeing in the areas you've identified. Uh, are you seeing improvements? Uh, why or why not? Maybe I'll go back to you, Shannon. Sure. I think the, the easy answer is a bit of yes and a bit of no. <laughs> so I'll start with maybe more of that positive outlook. Um, certainly, I've seen a shift in recognizing the value that women bring to organizations. I, I am in a bit of a different field because I'm a consultant. Um, I, I do get asked a lot for advice on um, areas where individuals may see a gap or that they may see a gap within their organizations. I have a lot of male colleagues that will ask me for advice on psychosocial issues, mental health, anxiety, depression, that they recognize that I'm bringing a different set of experiences, or they might talk to me about harassment concerns. I get a lot of comments from workers that I talk to that might be experiencing issues with, with harassment or with domestic violence, and they want to get that personal approach, and they want to get a female's perspective. And, and how do I deal with this? How do I approach my management group? How do I talk to people about the issues that I'm facing? I also see that with LGBTQ employees, where you might have, um, I, I, I had an experience where I had a client that asked me, for advice on terminology for an employee that they had that was transitioning in terms of how do they talk about that issue within their workplace and how to make sure that they're being respectful. So some of these skill sets that women are bringing, they're being recognized and they're being appreciated. Um, certainly, I think Stephanie can, can probably talk to some of those issues as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's such an interesting question, and it is a mixed bag answer, yes. <laughs> Marcel. Um, I would say certainly the conversations and workplaces around diversity and inclusion have uh, definitely elevated the conversation. But um, in many organizations, they really are about diversity and inclusion and not necessarily about equity. So that's a three-legged stool, and equity is part of that conversation. So the opportunity and the access to that opportunity is a really important conversation for any minority, whether it be women or otherwise um, in an organization. But, you know, even recently, and I'm gonna use COVID as an example. And uh, uh, when people started talking about masks, 
it really became an organizational issue when they realized that masks weren't designed for smaller faces necessarily. Right. And so this continues to be an issue in, in the development of PPE. Or if you think back to NASA and having to, you know, they recognized, uh, I think it was about a year, 18 months ago, they didn't have small enough flight suits for their two female astronauts who were scheduled to go up. This is still, these are present day examples. Mm-hmm. I, and certainly recognizing, um, you know, the opportunities as far as conversations with being supported in organizations, it's still a glass ceiling, still not seeing the sponsorship. Um, it's still not seeing the opportunity for women to operationalize their experience. It does exist in health and safety for sure. It kind of uh, leads this discussion into the work that still needs to be done. So I'm wondering if if both of you could share tips on that you would give OHNS professionals or workplace leaders in overcoming some of these areas that you've mentioned. Is there strategies that you can discuss? Uh, maybe begin with you, Stephanie. Certainly. I mean, if we were to look at it uh, just from what can one person do within their organization, you can start the conversation. I mean, that's really important. And in a number of our provinces and territories in Canada, you have that ability by joining the Joint Worksite Health and Safety Committee. That's a great place to start. In provinces where you have people, whether they be in trades or um, in other areas of the business, you have opportunities discuss this with your union also to highlight not just the problem but also potential solutions because both Shannon and I subscribe to the best people to provide solutions are the people who are actually doing the work and so that's a that's a health and safety philosophy that that withstands this gender related issue Um, it's also having that conversation when you're in leadership positions like I am with your supply chains and going what are we doing to address this with our HR leaders saying you know, are we taking into consideration that this is still very much women tend to not only uh, carry the workload, but also the homework load? And how are we providing this example? And again, COVID really highlighted that and, and, and the effects of stressing out um, and people having difficulty managing those situations when they had to homeschool their children, when everybody was sent home, plus work a full time job. Um, and provide for their their environment. Lots of issues, Marcel. Um, But we can start with, A, having the conversation, reminding our organizations that it's diversity, inclusion, and equity, and and then giving them some examples, and pulling in our unions, pulling in our trade associations, pulling in our professional associations. For both Shannon and I, as Canadian registered safety professionals, this is a very real conversation we're having at the Board of Governors there. So we have to have these conversations. I think there's also a lot of work that you can do as an individual, uh, focusing on training, making sure that you're, for me, interpersonal skills is probably the most critical thing you can have as a safety professional, learning how to communicate with people, talking, um, taking courses on ethics or time management or conflict resolution are massive, but you're also, and Stephanie talked about this, you're also working in an operation where you need to know how to talk to management, talk to senior executives, be able to talk the same language that you understand the business processes. Taking courses on leadership and management and business functions is really important. And I also really think it's important for you to take courses or take training in peripheral fields, things like marketing, project management, social media, writing skills are all really critical things for us to do as people. And, you know, as much as yes, training is really important, you need to have a sponsor. And I know Stephanie mentioned it before, you need a sponsor within your organization. 
I've been really fortunate that I have a father who's been safety for over 35 years and he has my back on absolutely everything. He's been able to get my foot in the door and then it's up to me to prove myself once I'm in there to be able to prove my value and expertise to the individuals. But I wouldn't have had that opportunity to prove myself if I didn't have someone that was always supporting and guiding me. I think that's incredibly valuable. And certainly mentorship can also help. We need to start building networks. Stephanie mentioned the, the Board of Canadian Registered Safety Professionals. Uh, we've both done a lot of volunteering with that organization in different ways. And I've learned so much from those other professionals um, and built a network that, that extends across Canada. These are individuals that have different uh, work experiences that might be in different jurisdictions or different industries. They have different sets of expertise. And a lot of times as a safety person, you come across something that you don't have the answer for. And that's fine, <laughs> but you need to know who to contact to be able to help you with that. And, and I think these networks of, of people volunteering in, in associations like the BCRSP or volunteering in the Women in Occupational Health and Safety Society, that's something that, that we've both grown quite a lot in terms of building those connections and being able to have that support. Stephanie, something you said just struck me and... I know we're, we're speaking specifically about health and safety in the workplace and diversity within that. Mm-hmm. But obviously, this is an issue that is pervasive across society. I, I'm just wondering, what do you feel the solution is here? That everyone working in their own specific professions to, to kind of better this situation? Or does this need to be tackled even from a greater platform? Well, that's such a good question, Marcel. Um, I'll tell you, you know, I was recently interviewed for IOSH magazine in the UK. And the discussion was around women working globally. And this really is a larger issue. So outside of occupational health and safety and to really make effective change, not only do you have to have um, conversation, but to make systemic and cultural um, countrywide change, you've got to have the legislation. It's got to be something that the government is actually saying, this is, this is what we want to talk about. And, you know, just to give you an example, think about high heels, right? So high heels, uh, a lot of employers will take advantage of a woman's body and her sexuality to profit from it, right? And so can you imagine only in Canada, Alberta, BC, Manitoba, and Ontario have changed their laws to say that employers can't make their female employees wear high heels, that's in our entire country. And so it has to be something that's when we see the greatest change. Um, when the government with regulation or legislation drives the expectation across organizations that they need to meet this change. And it's, you know, I'm not sure the conservative part of me would ever have said that. Um, but in everything that I see, it really is the, the change maker. We need we need our government to listen to us and to help make this happen in this country for sure. Shannon, do you have anything more to add there? I I agree with Stephanie in that we need to be having these conversations and we need to be having key stakeholders in these conversations. Um, We we see that a lot when legislation happens and and you may have uh, a, a lot of men in the room, but maybe not as many women that should be there. Or even conversations um, like this, what Stephanie's talking about, ergonomic issues and musculoskeletal injuries that are being caused by um, some of these really weird laws and really weird regulations that are in place. These 
we should be having safety professionals be part of these conversations as well. That we should be including as many different types of, of expertise when we're deciding some of these things. Mm-hmm. I want to close by talking a bit uh, more about the Women in Occupational Health and Safety Society. It was founded in 2017. Uh, and I'm just curious if you guys can talk about your current priorities as well as any of the successes that you've had over the last number of years. So both Shannon and I are founding members. And I think, you know, out of this group of 11 women that got together in a pub in downtown Calgary, all came with a different idea of what a women in occupational health and safety society would look like. Um, So just the fact that we were able to narrow our focus down to what we were really looking for, regardless of what you wanted to do in your career and what you were doing in your career, we were really able to focus on, you know, um, we needed mentors, you know, not coaches, but we needed mentors. We needed to be able to talk to other leaders or other people more experienced um, than we were uh, about things that were important to us. Like, how do we deal with harassment? What do we do when we can't get somebody to acknowledge our experience? Um, what do we do when we want to operate, learn how to operationalize our theory that we learned in school? What does that look like? We needed an opportunity to network with other women. And, and you know, that's why the Women in Safety Conference is so exciting in Canada. I, I mean, just the fact that last year it sold out. I think I can honestly say to you, Marcel, I, as one of the speakers at the conference, I walked down and I spoke speak at conferences frequently. So I walked down and I was like, well, this will be nice. You know, I'll get to network with it and meet some other women. And I stopped dead in my tracks because I had no idea, no idea the variety of people that would show up. Um, when we first started WAS, a lot of the conversation was around, why do you need a, you know, a girl's group? From my own people, they said that to me. Why do you need a girls group? What's so what's so important about girls and occupational health and safety? Well, the, the fact that we're still having the conversation around PPE, but we're moving the needle on it. We've got a number of vendors in Canada who are starting to pay attention to our design needs. Um, you know, why do you need to be at the table? Why do you want to be able to move your career forward? Because my experience and education is just as valu- valuable as yours. Ms. Engineer or Mr. Engineer, you know, I, I belong here too. And I have value. And, and certainly, I mean, the networking opportunities are hugely important. And then this past year, we had such, such a pull from across Canada. We initially only started with Alberta, but word spread so quickly. Thank you to your, your magazine and the article that you did with Paula Campion, our inaugural chair, uh, that we, our phone literally rang off the hook. And so we went national and the camaraderie and the networking and uh, we were able to pivot really quickly. And maybe I'll let Shannon touch on how we were able to pivot. Yeah, and Stephanie knows I'm really quite excited about that topic. We, we all had exactly what she, she mentioned. We all had very different reasons for starting WAS um, back in 2017. And, and I think we all identified that we wanted to make sure that we could sustain the organization before we started growing it. And now that we're in that growth phase, we're in that area where we have members not only across Canada, but we also have international members that have joined us either for our mentorship program or to attend our events. We, in that first year, we had three events. Now we're averaging anywhere from three to four events a month. 
And what we're trying to do is really build some exciting opportunities for informal networking. One of the challenges that we had pre-COVID was that we were starting to have some in-person networking socials, but it required some people on the ground to be able to really have that happen. Being able to switch, um, and we did it almost immediately. We were able to switch and start doing Zoom meetings and and um, making sure that all of our events right now are offered free to our members. And even if it's an opportunity to just sit in a room with someone, uh, a virtual room with someone for you know an hour and talk to people about safety, talk to people about family concerns, talk to people about the issues that we have with working alone um, or working from home. And, and some of us are also living alone. So now we've got some concerns that you know, we can talk to you about. about. Uh, we also do have some targeted topics when we have informal socials. Stephanie does a lot of uh, happy hour events where she does them in the evenings where she might have a specific topic that people want to talk about. We have a safety starters session that um, is really intended for those that are new to OHS. I think something that we identified really quickly was that we have a very different and diverse audience. We do have women that have been in safety for 10, 20 years that are looking for that upward growth and are looking for where how do I burst through that glass ceiling? But we also have a large number of members that are really new in their careers that don't have networks, that don't know where to start, that maybe don't understand the, the breadth of the core competencies within safety, that this is not just inspections and investigations. These are our topics that we're building career paths for individuals and, and we're giving them a bit of a feel for what does that look like and what can that look like? So we're having topics um, and, and during these informal sessions that we're, we're really hitting on exactly what they want to talk about. And it's for me, it's, it's incredibly exciting. You know what I think is, and I would just like to build on what Shannon said, a lot of people go into occupational health and safety thinking that it is just about investigations. Um, but OHS is an enterprise-wide function. And as you progress in your career, you find out there are different ways and that you need to influence decision-making because it is still in most organizations a support function. And it really is about those skills. How do I articulate in a way that's meaningful to other parts of the organization? Do I even know where to go? Do I have to go to my contracts group? Is this an operational? Safety isn't just at field execution level. And we talk about that kind of stuff. And I, and I also want to say, Marcel, really importantly, um, we have a number of men who belong to our organization. And our safety brothers are mentors. They are huge proponents um, and advocates for women working in occupational health and safety. And, and we acknowledge and welcome them to our organization. And they have really been an incredibly valuable resource also in our mentorship program. Yeah, I mean, our tagline really is building a better future for women in OHS. We can't do that unless we have all the players at the table. Um, Stephanie mentioned men as mentors. We also have men as mentees within our system. Um, certainly, our mentorship program is one of our flagship programs. We're incredibly proud of it. And we're, we're very proud of the things that we will be able to do with it. And I think it's important that we have both men and women as serving as mentors and mentees, because that's the reality of what we're facing in the workplace. Well, that's a great opportunity to close on. I just want to say thanks again for sharing your time and expertise on this important issue. Happy International Women's Day. Thank, Thank you very you much. Marcel. Like
Thank you for tuning into Safe Zone, the podcast by OHS Canada. To hear more of our episodes or to find the latest workplace safety headlines from across the country, visit ohscanada.com.